Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose. I am someone who did not go to art school, but I love learning about art history and new artists. Hi, I'm Betty. I'm also someone who did not go to art school, but I also really love learning about art history, new artists, artists that I've known for a long time that I'm still learning new things about. Um, and that's kind of the case with the artists we're going to talk about today, uh, which is someone whose works I see on a weekly basis, uh, where I work as a gallery guide here in Toronto. So I will tell you about all my discoveries over the years. Yeah, this is an episode topic that was driven by Betty's desire to talk about a Canadian for once. <laughs> yeah, I, I've noticed that I don't think we've like, we've even gone to cover like international artists and Chinese artists. And I'm like, I don't think we've actually talked about a Canadian artist. And we should. So of course, we had to we had to represent for Betty. So <laughs> today we are talking about uh, your selection, which is uh, William Kerlick. I did not know this artist beforehand. Um, I actually like had literally never heard of him, and so I was like, "Sounds good." When he suggested this, <laughs> can't wait to can't wait to find out more. Um, but I would love if you could kind of take it away and explain who this person is and why you want to talk about him. When I started to think about who who we would talk about uh, as our first Canadian artist. Um, uh, he kind of came to mind pretty quickly. Like, obviously, he doesn't represent all Canadians. Um, and there's so many different kinds of, you know, Canadians of all shapes and sizes and forms that, you know, it, we could have an entire show just dedicated to Canadian artists. Uh, but uh, this is someone that I think kind of represents being Canadian like pretty well, as, at least in his time. Uh, so uh, he is somebody who was born in Canada, but he came from immigrant parents. He's Ukrainian Canadian. Uh, he kind of lived like all over Canada, mostly in the prairies as well as Toronto. Um, and uh, he and he did travel to other parts of Canada as well as all over the world eventually. And you know, he he studied in Canada. Um, and and most particularly because a lot of his subject matter in his paintings are Canadian, um, whether it's landscapes or people or portraits or um, the scenes that he paints, they're uh, they're they're very distinctively Canadian, and uh, he is somebody who painted his life around him. Although when he got older, things got a bit weird, which we can talk about. Um, and, and his influences are um, ranges from European artists to uh, Canadian and American artists to even Mexican artists. So there's a pretty big range of uh, where he comes from. Uh, I think when most people think of Canada, um, actually, I don't know if most people even think about Canada, <laughs> like, uh, or if most people who do think about Canada can even come up with a Canadian artist. But I just know that historically, ca Canada has promoted impressionist artists like the Group of Seven and Tom Thompson, uh, officially quite a bit. And they're everywhere in our galleries are our art galleries like half of it is group of seven um they're very widely collected and very well known and they're all definitely very great artists but i just think i i i'm so sick of them <laughs> 
that <laughs> I want to talk about other people. Um, and also, I don't t- necessarily really think that they represent Canada all that well. Although, like having said that, you know, no single person or single artist, even group of artists, uh, would rec- represent all of us. Um, but yeah, so I that's kind of a gist of why I chose Karelic uh, as someone to talk about as our first introduction to Canada. That's great. And I will say that when I started reading about him, I was very intrigued by how much his art like very clearly represented his life and the world around him. And obviously all artists are always falling from their personal experiences and everything, but there, there was like different keystones of his life that played out in his art over and over again thematically and the way that his childhood and his early adult experiences just really shaped the way that he looked at the world and that he wasn't afraid to like be very overt with the stuff that he was representing in his art to the point where he got in trouble sometimes because he was too aggressive with the messaging in his paintings. I thought was very interesting. Yeah, I, I guess uh, my initial... Um, like what I've been wondering is, and yeah, since you didn't know the artist before, and to be honest, I had no idea who he was either before I started working at the gallery and saw his work. So uh, I was also kind of, you know, just introduced to him by this uh, huge collection of his work, um, like in my face. So um, I guess maybe just the question of like, do you do you like his artwork? Do you like his style? Would you have it in your house? Um, Etc. What would you do if I was like, I hate him? I would not be your friend forever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I would respect that opinion, but I would actually be very intrigued in why. No, I, I don't hate him at all. Um, when I was looking at his art, I actually found that there's I could kind of divide them into two basic spheres because uh, later in his life, he became a very successful children's book illustrator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so obviously like the work that he was doing for children's book is kind of like its own thing. But even beyond that, there are other like lots of work that he did that was kind of depicting landscape and everyday life in Canada and these other images that are like, we're representing like happy little snippets of, of life in the world around us. Which are, they're, they're very well done, but they're not something that, like, particularly speak to me emotionally. And then there are lots of other work that he did that was super weird and interesting, <laughs> where he was depicting things like, this is what the inside of my brain looks like when I'm in a mental institution. And this is, like, my interpretation of my Catholic religion and the way that it exists in the world right now through these very distinctive styles of artwork where I'm, like, painting in a realistic style, but painting fantastical things and fantastical expressions um, of my own brain and the way that I'm seeing the world so that you can, through my paintings, see a little bit of how I'm seeing the world. And I really liked those kinds of things where that he did where it wasn't just like, here's what I'm literally seeing, but like, here's what I'm figuratively seeing as well. Yeah, t- for sure. I think he's definitely someone who, um, who yeah, who has a, v- like, had a very distinctive style. And I would... I would call some of his work definitely surreal. And I think in that way is kind of why some people compare his work to like uh, Norman Rockwell or even um, I sometimes think of like uh, Edward Hopper, like those surreal scenes of like streets and um, like, you know, cafes and stuff, not necessarily in the same way, um, but he, he, he has that bit of that style to it where like it's realistic but it's also not and you're kind of creeped out by it 
Depends on the piece, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned, his parents and some of his grandparents originally came from uh, villages uh, in Bukovina, uh, which today are part of Ukraine, uh, modern day Ukraine. And his uh, father uh, immigrated with his grandparents to East Central Alberta. um, And then his uh, mother's family uh, had immigrated also to Alberta previously, and then his mother was born in Alberta. And so in uh, 1923, his father also immigrated to Alberta and then married his mother uh, in um, Russian Orthodox Church in 1925. And he was born in 1927, and he was born uh, and baptized in Russian Orthodox Church. And so uh, his family lived in uh, in a, they lived on a dairy farm uh, in Stonewall, Manitoba throughout uh, most of his childhood. He was actually raised only speaking Ukrainian. Uh, he began attending an English only uh, public school when he, um, you know, when he it, when it became time for him to go to public school. But obviously, you know, he, he didn't speak any English. And um, I read in certain biographies that, you know, he was made fun of for even though he was born in Canada, he was essentially an immigrant because, you know, he, he didn't speak English and he was treated uh, probably not so well. Um, and so, uh, so, but obviously he eventually finishes high school and then he goes to the uh, University of Manitoba for, uh, for university. Um, but then I think in the summers and then uh, he worked at uh, these lumber camps in Northern Ontario and he actually... Um, became uh, he he met a fine arts student uh, when he was uh, studying in the University of Manitoba, and he actually became quite interested in the fine arts. Even though uh, he majored in uh, like a bachelor of general arts degree in like and um, the majoring in Latin, English, and history. Um, but then his parents and his siblings actually moved to a farm in Ontario after he graduates from university. So then he actually moved uh, to Ontario with them. And then he stud- started studying art at the Ontario College of Art, which at the time was called OCA. Um, and then later on, it was renamed OCAD for Ontario College of Art and Design. And then later, later on, it was renamed <laughs> OCADU for Ontario College of Art and Design University. It's our university with like endless letters adding tacking on to the end of their um, name um, I actually have a few friends who went there it's uh, it's right next to the AGO the uh, OCAD U and it is um, a quite a well-known university most people who study fine arts or uh, design kind of go to uh, OCAD U and so he uh, did that as well it's also worth noting that at this time that he was starting to formally study art, his parents explicitly were not a fan of this, and his father especially really did not approve of him pursuing his artistic talents, um, and it was difficult for him to convince his father to even let him go study art, something that would continue to be a theme throughout the rest of his life. Yeah, for sure. And I think in addition to um, him kind of not having a great time at school during his childhood, he also, yeah, obviously had a tough time like with his with his family and with his parents disapproving of his art um he uh, one of Karelic's, uh childhood influences was uh, Diego Rivera the Mexican muralist that we spoke about uh, on a previous podcast and he um apparently his father one time when he was a kid found him in his room like drawing all over the walls and then was like furious and was like oh my god like 
what are you doing? And I mean, I guess if any parent found their kid drawing all over the walls, they might not be so pleased about it. Uh, not just because they want to pursue <laughs> like an art degree, um, but also because they're uh, drawing all over the walls. <laughs> um, and then there's actually um, a painting that I was going to get into a bit later. Um, it's actually, uh, it's a painting called uh, Watering Cows in Winter. And so that's a painting that he did like later on, but it's alluding to his childhood, where, so it was on the farm, and he was supposed to be like, um, feeding the cows or, or uh, water. And but it's a picture of him using an axe to try to thaw the ice of the like the bucket of water that had frozen over and apparently it was his fault that the water was left out and froze overnight and um like his father then was like oh my god like why can't you be more like your brother who can actually do things properly and not screw up like you and then in the picture in the painting i believe behind him is like some cows and then his brother herding the cows and his brother's like with a whip or something and so he's kind of um it's it, and and he's there going like oh my god i have to thaw all this ice and so it's a depiction of how you know he felt like such a loser while his brother's like always better than him and of course his parents made it very clear that's how they felt um so yeah like you mentioned he didn't have a great uh relationship with his parents um and kind of always felt like he was in the shadow of his brother um so yeah having said that despite the fact that he really loved art wanted to pursue it he really hated it at oca like he didn't like the form formal traditional way art is was being taught and i think that's that actually is the case of a lot of art students i actually have a couple friends who went to the same school uh who actually dropped out within the first or second year because they felt similarly they were like i i just don't feel like this traditional way of teaching art is you know, it is really something that uh, does it for me. So he actually, uh, he left school, and then he uh, moved to uh, Edmonton, and then he started just painting on his own. And I think he did his first self-portrait in 1950. Um, and then sort of throughout this time, he like hitchhikes all over um, Canada and the United States. He even eventually goes down to Mexico because he was interested in studying Mexican art. Um, like I mentioned, he was really he, inspired by Diego. And so, um, but like by 1951, he was like, I want to, I want to go to Europe. Like I, you know, I want to go explore. And him going like country by country and just one by one being disillusioned <laughs> yeah. by the art education there is just like so relatable that this young person was just really trying to learn art. And then there's a two options, like either was experiencing like poor teaching and like non-inspiring <laughs> work or was like kind of too pretentious to deal with it <laughs> i can't get a good enough sense of him to guess which one it is i think it's the first because yeah like he seemed like he had a lot of genuine interest in these art forms before he would get to each yeah. location but there's reading it the i got i the word like disillusioned came up so many times that i was like boy you're having a rough time of this huh for sure um i i actually think it might be a third reason or maybe a combination of all of the above i i think it's probably him dealing with debilitating depression that that was basically um ev like something he had to deal with his whole life yeah, like i think it's yeah. like he gets inspired as like i'll move to this 
other place and I'll find something I love. And then he goes there and is like, yeah, I'm so depressed. Yeah, the classic thinking that changing your location will change your mental illness. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so he eventually um, takes a cargo ship from Montreal to London, England, and it's his first time in England. And I think very quickly, or even within days, he checks into a psychiatric hospital in London because he obviously realized just moving around is not really helping out. He's actually mentally ill, which was very good for him that he came to that realization. Yeah, I read one account that he actually went to England on purpose because he read about the groundbreaking art therapy that was going on from a doctor there. So he specifically chose to check himself into a hospital um, in England so he could work with a specific doctor who was doing art therapy. Oh, that makes sense. Because I was I thought he moved there and happened to have like, gotten into a hospital where somebody was doing like pioneering art therapy. That makes much more sense that he like actually knew that was there. And it wasn't just like a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah, the the accounts are a little muddled because I read one where uh, he was working with Edward Adams, who was like mm-hmm. this big yeah. pioneer of art therapy, but that he was actually at the second hospital. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that, like he learned about this doctor later or if he was trying to get to him the whole time and just uh, needed to go through the first hospital first. Like it's, it's a little unclear, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he did, he did get to work um, extensively with art therapy and produced a lot of art as part of his kind of processing and healing process as he was actually dealing with his depression, which is a, a great thing that he got to um, experience this form of healthcare and actually found it productive and helpful. For sure. I, I think, yeah, it, the art therapy was definitely something that was, uh, you know, I, I would say probably um, pretty significant and if not life-changing for him um, because obviously, you know, he he's able to... Um, utilize this thing that he loves which is art and as well as um getting uh, finally kind of getting to create art in a way that um isn't just some you know teacher um trying to teach him how to do something in a rigid way like he's actually being able to use it in a positive hopefully positive way to deal with his his uh, mental illness so yeah so he uh painted quite a few paintings throughout his time when he was um a psychiatric patient and when he was in europe and so um i think particularly you mentioned some of them um so the, the one of the ones that i um I guess got really creeped out by <laughs> is his painting uh, called Where Am I? Who Am I? Why Am I? Uh, which was one of, I think, one of his first paintings or at least one of the paintings he painted uh, during his uh, like psychiatric uh, treatment. So it's a painting of him. Um, it looks like he's in the desert or maybe it is him or, or someone else or maybe his manifestation of himself and he's wearing like a trench coat with a backpack his hands are out and it looks like he's blind he like doesn't know where he is or who he is or even why he is and like his eyes are hollow and he's like super pale like he looks like a dead person and it's very uh creepy um but it's it's you almost don't even have to read the title of this painting to know what the title of this painting is it, it's very emotionally evocative, especially with the colors that it's used. It's it, pretty much all just variations of shades of brown through the whole painting. Especially given the fact that his some of his later paintings and many of his other paintings are quite colorful. Um, and I think you mentioned one, which I don't know if it's a, the same one that I came across, but uh, it, there's one that's called the 
maze maze um i don't know if that's the one where you were thinking that it looks like it could be the inside of his brain because it does look like something cut in like cut open and cut in half and it could be it might be a skull yeah this is one that i read a lot about it was one that he produced while he was in the hospital um and it would became kind of the focal point of a documentary that he was a part of that was about his life and his um, mental illness and his art and all of that kind of and how it all wrapped together. That was that was not produced until 1969. Um, so it was like 15 years after any of this happened. But uh, the they made a documentary called The Maze and it like kind of focused on this painting as well as like all these interviews and, and depictions of what he experienced. This is one of the ones that I was describing the style that is like somewhat surreal and uh, it's his experience of the world, not necessarily a straightforward depiction of the world. Um, the One of the things that your eyes is drawn to especially is a rat that is curled up in the middle of this, what appears to be a, a looking at a brain that's been cut in half. Um and so there there are different images and like different rectangles among this like quote unquote brain. It's not graphic at all. It doesn't like look like it no part of it looks like it's actually part of the human body. It's just the shape. It seems like that. Um but yeah, there's a bunch of squares that it's divided up into and they have different uh designs and and images in each one, but in the middle you have this rat that's curled up and appears that it's dead and of course that all of the associations of like being a rat in a maze and not being able to get out is a way that he expressed the feeling that he had when he was struggling with um, this deep mental illness. For sure. It's, yeah, it's definitely very complex and they're like, and all of his paintings, um, they're so, they're so detailed and there are so many little details that you can look at. Um, Like his works, I often see people standing in front of it for like 20 minutes or an hour examining um, the painting. I mean, I'm not watching the person watching it for an hour, but like... Sort of the interpretation that people have pulled from and like things that he's said about it is that um, the showing the rat as like not moving, even though the skull is open now, it suggests that like it's not willing to leave this prison, even though it's been freed. And he wrote in his autobiography... um, now clean me out, I challenge you scientists, and put me back together again. A happy, balanced, mature, fulfilled personality. Lift that rat out and unwind him and let him run free. And so as I find that very interesting. Like That's how he was visualizing what healing is for him and what he knew that he needed but he didn't have yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so something else uh, that's interesting that happened to him while he was in London is that I believe after he was discharged from the hospital, um, he actually got a job in London. Um, he he got hired by someone called F.A. Pollock, um, who was a frame maker. And so he became like a, an apprentice um, and finisher of frames at his uh, frame shop. He kind of picked up a skill that you wouldn't normally pick up as just just like anybody or if you were just some random Canadian person you were like I want to study how to make frames um, it's not very easy to just like be able to find a master who can teach you so um, again not sure if you sought this person out but from what I read he just like got a job and was like oh cool I get to learn this thing yeah it's a very good skill to have as an artist and by 
other accounts was one that he like continued to practice um even after he stopped working there he continued to frame his own work which is pretty cool yeah um it is great because actually one of the questions i get uh, a lot at the gallery was uh, is sometimes about the frames of paintings and we do have some pretty decorative ornate and just really nice frames for a lot of the artworks in the gallery and many of the frames uh you know, were not produced by their original artist, or, you know, the artist may have hired a framer or it has been reframed. And Corellic's works are some of the few where the original frame by the original artist who painted the painting is uh, what's used. And his frames are quite unique. Like, if you search for his paintings online, I would try to find ones with the frame, because quite often the frame is a part of the artwork. He paints the frames, he paints them in, like, funky colors or funky designs, um, or he molds them into, like, these pretty cool shapes. I think his frames are works of art just in themselves. Um, and so... Like he, it's actually that's actually one of the first things that uh, I got drawn in. I saw some of his paintings and I was like, "These frames are cool! Like they're so unique. I don't see frames like this anywhere else." And the uh, gallery guide who knew about him uh, was like, "Yeah, he made it himself." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that is very cool." Yeah, and that's why I kind of I encourage you to actually physically come to Toronto when you are allowed to. <laughs> And uh, take a look at some of these frames in person because they are quite stunning. And like, you know, a lot, most of them are wooden frames. They're finished in like very nice rustic finishes and textures. So like on the computer, it's hard to see how, how nice they are. But when you see them in real life, you almost want to touch them, even though you know you're not allowed to. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they're just very, they're very beautiful. And so there's one work that uh, in that's in the AGO that is uh really really cool and so a bunch of his works um like the painting extends onto the frame like either he's he would paint a part of the painting onto the frame or the frame is like decorated in the way that's in the theme of the painting but one work of his that he did that's hanging in the AGO it's one of I think it's probably one of his most famous uh, artworks it's a painting called reminiscence of youth and it um, again like on the computer it kind of looks very flat but when you look at it in real life it's a painting within a painting so the outer border is a white trim and then inside that white trim is a like a sepia toned painting of a man lying in his bedroom and then in the uh, in the center of the painting is another white trim that looks like a window but that trim is not painted that trim is like an actual wooden like projected trim and then inside that trim is another painting of a field of snow with a hill and children playing in the field and on the hill and so it's a painting within a painting but within the painting it's almost like there is a window in this kid's bedroom and he's lying there with these kids outside going like hey come play with us and so um it's a really cool painting just th having the nature being that there's like two paintings in one painting but also the tone between the outside and the inside are quite different the inside is oh, sorry yeah the inside which is the outside of the frame is dim and dark and like neutral tone with neutral tones and the boy that's lying on in the bed like he looks quite depressed and like he doesn't really care and then in the the painting outside the window are it's like snow with like all these colorfully dressed children 
the kids are like laughing and smiling and making snowballs, having snowball fights, like sliding down the hill. Just overall, it's really bright and sunny and happy. Um, so it's this contrast between the two that's also really striking. And obviously, you know, there's there's lots of different ways to look at it. You can think of it as, you know, maybe the boy is Kerala himself who's inside and he doesn't want to go out and play because he is, you know, depressed and lonely um and or you can think of it maybe he's lying there thinking about his childhood which has you know is gone um so there's like uh this is actually this is a great piece i actually take a lot of visitors to where i don't really say very much i just say like hey like what do you think like what do you see what do you think is going on and people can kind of make up their own stories uh, about what's going on here so first of all this is a really cool painting for the way that it is conceived and has two paintings in one and all of that stuff. And it's also knowing what we've learned about his background and how much he struggled with mental illness. It also is a very emotional painting and seeing that depiction of loneliness and of missing out on kind of normal childhood that he probably experienced most of the time as, as a kid growing up is very sad to see. But on a more lighthearted note, this does a little bit remind me of that SpongeBob meme where Sp- Squidward is inside watching Patrick <laughs> and SpongeBob run around outside. Like, oh my god, yes! <laughs> this is just the more depressing version of that. <laughs> oh my god, Karolik is OG Squidward. <laughs> oh my god, I I'm so sorry to the memory of this man. <laughs> No. I mean, hopefully, you know, in the afterlife, he's very happy to be compared to um, a cartoon character. I hope he's having a good time. I hope so, too. Um, Because unfortunately, yeah, like, I don't want to get into the stereotype of artists having tragic lives, but (laughs) the ones we talk about tend to. Well, the only kind of major life event that we haven't... um, touched on that really influenced the rest of his work was his conversion to the Catholicism. Yes. Um, Also, while he was in England, it's actually the therapist that he knew while he was in the hospital was Catholic. And um, gradually, he uh, like read more and more about it and ended up converting to Catholicism and was formally baptized in 1957. And from that point on, I think for the rest of his life, um, lived as a, a very devout Catholic, and it really influenced a lot of his work, um, both in terms of like the themes of it, and also would often have kind of controversial messages in his art about like the coming apocalypse and things <laughs> like that. Um, and so that was that was a really strong feature that influenced a lot of his work as well. It's it's yeah, it's a pretty important uh, top topic later on in his life, and he returns to Canada eventually. Uh, I think he kind of moved back and forth a few forth a few times between Canada and uh, England, but he eventually like permanently comes back to Canada, and he actually moves to Toronto and lives on Huron Street, uh, which is one street west of the AGO. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so he he lives in Toronto, and then he also he became involved with the Catholic community here in Toronto as. As well um, and then he um, he meets a gallery owner called um, 
Isaacs, <laughs> uh, and he actually then uh, got a job with uh, in the in the in the Isaacs Gallery, and he was uh, particularly hired as a framer because they they found out that he had like European, especially like f uh, training from like you know Euro a European Jew who knew how to frame like in the traditional way that they do there they were like oh my god you're hired so he so he was originally hired there as a uh, as a framer so he did frame framing for lots of different art and um i don't know exactly like you know how it happened but i'm sure he was like hey by the way i also paint uh since you have a gallery here <laughs> so by 1950 sorry by 1960 he actually ended up uh putting a couple of his own works into an exhibition at the Isaacs Gallery. So he was able to uh, showcase his work, you know, at a pretty well-known local Toronto gallery. Um, so then progressively from there, you know, he, his work got noticed. He managed to have a few more exhibitions, kind of got into some group exhibitions. And then, and then he actually had his first solo exhibition at the Winnipeg Art Gallery in 1966. Uh, he, he ended up getting a lot of commissions and again he traveled through a lot of Canada uh, a lot many different parts of Canada and then he painted a lot of stuff in like the Maritimes the Prairie um, out west as well as, um, you know, obviously in and around Toronto. So he actually became um, an author. He published a book called Prairie Boys Winter, and he it actually got onto the New York Times as one of the best illustrated books of the year. And, and sorry, I should mention, like, he did uh, book illustrations. And so he then, yeah, he then eventually um, became uh, pretty much a, a, like a children's book illustrator as well. Some of the books that he participated on are books like The Irish in Canada um, and the Jewish Life in Canada and then Jewish Home Life in Montreal. So uh, again, like um, kind of calling back to the fact that he himself was um, a, a child of Ukrainian immigrants, he kind of dedicated a large part of his life painting the stories of many other immigrant cultures like the Irish and Jewish um, Canadians in Canada. So kind of nice that he's kind of dedicating or using his art skills to, uh, you know, portray these different types of um, lives and different stories of Canadians. And then sort of um, kind of, yeah, it's like he does eventually beco become quite paranoid as he got older. Like uh, he did, obviously, now at this point, it's the 1960s and 70s. It's the Cold War. There's a looming nuclear war like every day basically and he's studying more and more of I'm sure like biblical text and he's like convinced the world will end in some sort of nuclear disaster and to be here to be fair he probably wasn't the only person who thought that who thought that back in um like the 60s and 70s and I think um I read that he tried so he I think he moved to the east end of Toronto uh at that point and he tried to build a nuclear bunker in his basement and but the city of Toronto wouldn't give him permit because they were like WTF um but again I'm sure there were lots of other people who were like yeah that's probably a good idea but anyway he he, he doesn't end up building his bunker um although some of his paintings of his studio does look like it's a bunker so that's pretty much his life up until this point. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like a lot, most of our kind of discussion back and forth is really focused on his earlier life and his experiences in England, because I think that 
those formative experiences really just set up everything else in his life. And I mean, of course, he had to struggle with everything that had happened, like as it affected him um, throughout the rest of his life and his career. But it does seem like after he came back to Canada and settled back in Canada permanently, that he had a relatively successful career without too much continual struggle like he was able to get in these galleries and and pick up a pretty steady career pretty quickly and then once he started working in children's books like he became a very successful children's book illustrator and that's probably why like he is continued to be well known and sort of um why he like persists in canadian popular culture more even though like he has like a, a huge expansive catalog that we've talked about just a few pieces of but i think definitely his commercial career is what had helped him probably like in his life obviously of being commercially successful and having more money but also um it definitely is probably easier to get your uh quote-unquote like traditional art get more eyes on that when you also like have this kind of pop culture aspect to your work as well where people like have name recognition as you as of you as an artist he's probably also quite well known these days mostly because of his uh, i'm not to give ourselves too much credit but mostly because of his huge collection of his work in the ago and uh, that's actually he, he uh early on uh this art collector um, called uh, Ken Thompson, uh, who was a very wealthy Canadian businessman, he he, uh, started collecting Keralic works pretty early on, I think before he was like, you know, super famous. And he ended up having like a very big collection. And in 2001, uh, Thompson donated all of his uh, collection, uh, including this huge library of Keralic works to the AGO. And so, um, you know, all of his not all, but like a huge portion of his work is now on display at the Canadian galleries for everyone to see. And I think particularly, you know, for for a lot of us who live in uh, Toronto, or even all over Canada, like when you look at some of these paintings, you'll recognize like where it's from. Um, Especially, I mean, for me, especially his paintings in Toronto, but I'm sure if you're from like out east, or if you're from out west, you'll notice maybe some of the towns that he's painted, um, because they're, they're quite detailed. And despite you know sort of his cartoony style like it it is actually pretty accurate so in the AGO there's a painting of um the Don Valley um and the bridge that's looking over it which is just down the street from my house (laughs) so everybody who kind of walks by this painting are like hey I recognize that um he also painted uh the Toronto City Hall um in this pretty interesting like overhead bird's eye view that's actually um you don't actually you don't actually see a lot when when you're living in the city obviously like living under um this huge immense building um so yeah like he there's so many places where you're like hey i i recognize that street or you know those uh houses or that gas station that he painted so it is definitely i think for a lot of us like it evokes like more emotion rather than looking at some absolute abstract like landscape painting out in the middle of nowhere done by like a group of seven painter um so (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I'm like just like totally like anyone who like likes group of seven is gonna be like what does she have against them it's really cool to hear about all those spots in Canada and like recognizable spots that he's painted um and like having that sort of distinctly Canadian artist experience even though you clearly just want to be rude to the (laughs) other Canadian artists I'm just kidding yeah while Carolic had to like continue 
to deal with obviously like mental illness um throughout his entire life and not just it's not just something that goes away but it was something that like he was able to kind of get a handle on and have different waves throughout his life and still be able to like have what appear to be for large parts of his life a happy life um with a like a marriage and a and a successful career despite having to also deal with this illness and with a, a with a very difficult childhood um so i'm glad that he got to have that and i'm glad that he is was able to be appreciated in his own time and be remembered as well Definitely. Um, I mean, so he did, uh, he, he eventually, um, he died in 1977. Uh, how old was he? Sorry, he was born in 1927. So he was not very old. Um, no. <laughs> so um, I believe he, he died of cancer. And he did actually, at the time, he was planning um, a second trip to Ukraine, because he wanted to do a huge mural series depicting the history of Ukrainian pioneer settlement in Canada. Um, so he was actually, I think he was commissioned by the federal government to to paint on the walls of the um, parliament buildings in Ottawa. So that's actually a quite big commission. And, you know, it does seem like um, a pretty you know, successful gig that he had got. So actually, so he did eventually did go to Ukraine. But um, when he came back to Canada, he unfortunately died that November. So he was never able to actually paint those murals um, on the parliament buildings, unfortunately. So that's quite sad. Um, But I, I guess, like, kind of going back to what you were saying before like it it is I would say it's quite a success story that he was able to achieve the level of success that he did um, in his life and he was able to kind of pour um, his um, like thoughts and mind into his art in a way that was therapeutic and helped him um, with his psychological health. And so and and in a way, you know, I think a lot of people probably found his work relatable. And that might be uh, most likely is one of the reasons why they're quite successful and continues to be successful today. Um, Tragic, but nice, sometimes. (laughs) Well, thank you for introducing this artist to me. Oh, no problem. No problem. And thanks, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Pictorial. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram at PictorialPod, uh, where we'll be posting some of the images that we talked about today. And there's some, definitely some good ones from this episode. Uh, you can also find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. Or if you want to, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at ArticulationsV. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel um, under Pictorial Podcast where we have uh, episodes uh, that we upload where we will also be inserting the same pictures into the video. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.